0: Welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can reach us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So that being said, I have Angela Goodman from Valkyrie Venture Group. How are you doing today, uh, Angela?
1: You're doing
0: great, Justin. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Sorry. So the audience knows I had a bit of a hiccup on the way. Sometimes it happens. Normally it's me tripping over the introduction. Um, but today it was like audio equipment error, user error, most likely on my part. But that being said, Angela, tell us about your story. I know you through Arite Syndicate, so we'll talk a lot about that during this episode. But you and I are in the food space. We have similar mindsets because of Arite. I think we're one of like four members in Arite that are food entrepreneurs, which is ironic considering there's more food entrepreneurs in the world than any other group yet. In this major player entrepreneur group, there's only about four of us. So uh, that being said, how did you end up in food? Tell us a little bit about your story, Angela.
1: So I actually, uh, Justin spent, uh, 15 years in corporate America doing commercial HVAC. And, um, I moved like every three years for that job. And I found myself just west of Washington, DC, um, in a little neighborhood community. I was running a $25 million P and L for a fortune 50 company. And I couldn't find a good breakfast which is shocking, right, um, just outside of Washington, D.C., like a, a small diner, something that good service, good food. Um, I had lived in Charlotte, North Carolina prior to my arrival here. And in Charlotte, there was this great little place um, called Toast Cafe, and they were uh, very small. They had four locations. Um, and I found out that they were trying to grow and that they wanted to franchise, and um, they had started franchising, and I contacted them and said, hey, you guys aren't in Virginia, you're not in the marketplace, this is really a hole where I live, would you be interested in coming to Virginia and letting me start the brand for you up here, Um, and so that's how I ended up in the food space, totally by happenstance,
0: well, and it's very interesting, right? Like it's just not something you planned. It wasn't something you you planned on happening, and it's it's where you ended up. So, tell me about this a little bit. How did you, how did you make the decision to move into the food space?
1: I was ready to be doing uh, something on my own. I have been an entrepreneur since I was very young. I used to sell candy on, on a bus. My mom was a candy merchandiser. She would bring home expired candy and I would literally take orders from the kids on the bus and sell them candy, which I got into a ton of trouble for because she <laughs> lost her job. Um but at the at a very young age I was just always had an entrepreneurial. spirit. Uh, I spent a, I, I spent time in my college years, doing um, some side work back when back when having a side hustle wasn't really a thing. Um, and then my uh, former husband and I actually started a construction business together in 2000. And I ran the business side of his business for him while I was building my other career. And so I had been an entrepreneur throughout my whole life. And I finally decided, you know what? I'm tired of working for someone else. I'm tired of not bringing my own value to the table and what I'm worth and being paid appropriately. So I said, this is a great opportunity. You know, it's a great brand. The food is amazing. The service concept is different than most, um, full service restaurants. And so that's how I ended up in food. It was, it's always been a passion of mine. I love to eat. I'm the person who, if you come to my house for the weekend, I'm getting up in the morning and making you eggs and omelets and breakfast. So it just ended up being a very natural fit. My first job was the Waffle House. I was a waitress and a and a cook uh, at the Waffle House, and so it, it was just a very natural fit for me.
0: What's your favorite part about food? Like, why did it catch you? What was the the thing that you let really grabbed you? I would say.
1: So this particular brand, the thing I love most about it is it's 100% customizable. So the menu has 70 offerings, which is a, a, a ton of offerings, actually, for a menu. Everything is made from scratch. And so if there is an ingredient in the kitchen that's in some other menu item that you want in a dish you want to order, guess what? You can have it. Um, so it's very drawn to it from that perspective. Everyone is very different tastes. I feel like the food community is very different than it used to be. You have a lot of people who refer to themselves as foodies. So they're constantly trying at home to recreate dishes, do meals, change up ingredients, you know, make things interesting in their own kitchen. So when they come out to a restaurant, they want to try to do the same thing at the restaurant. And so one of the things that I loved about this particular brand is that everything is customizable on the menu and everything is fresh. And that's really what I was drawn to primarily more than anything
0: else. And I love this because I think that part of being a food entrepreneur and part of being an entrepreneur in general is just like the urge to want to do it, the the wanting to have things better, the wanting to uh, live a better life. And so I think there's a lot of that that happens. And, um, I, um, I'm curious, I'm curious how you, you, you wrap your head around all of it actually, because for me, it's sort of just, it, it, things fell into place. There were opportunities and and things just happened based on that. Is that what you found? Like once you decided you were going to be an entrepreneur, once you decided you were into food, did the, the things like the ventures just happen to come? I mean, how did you go about it?
1: Yeah. You know it's funny when I first decided to get into the business. I wanted to be 100% hands-on. I had worked in the restaurant industry uh, in my early in my early working life. And so, I'd never owned a restaurant obviously. Um, I'm not a chef, so I wasn't I wasn't, it's not like I had a culinary degree or was possibly trained or anything along those lines. But I wanted to operate in the business and really know the business inside and out because I've been in very different businesses. I've started businesses. Um, And so one of the things that I realized as I was working in the business in the first two years, I really enjoyed the creation of food. Um, And so what that allowed me to do, even though it is a franchise, it It is a very much an owner independent franchise. So. As the owner, I have my own special menus that I can make up with my staff. I have my own drinks I can do. We are a a family owner first franchise business. Um, And so when I got into it, I didn't realize I was going to have that creative outlet. And I really enjoyed that. And so once I understood the business after the first two years, then that turned into, huh, you know, let me really work on the catering side of things. Let me see. The brand doesn't have a catering channel really. They don't support it very much. Let me see what I can do from an entrepreneurial perspective to create a catering, a full-scale catering business out of this brand. Um, and I've done that. I I that was one of the things that sort of came up for me that I hadn't anticipated when I started the restaurant. Um, and so that's become a great uh, revenue stream for the business that wasn't there before. The franchise team has come to me to help them design their own catering programs. So I've a, I've been a, I've been in a situation where I've been able to create that, um, and it was something totally unexpected.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really cool how that sort of happens. Um, and like you're very talented. I've known you for a while, and and you're very you have good energy and you seem to to want to do this. So how did you get into I believe it's toast was is what we talked about the other day. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about like how all that happens. what was that like uh, starting a business or being involved in another yeah. business? Could we go through that? Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So so one of the things uh, as a as a franchisee that most people don't know, when you become a franchisee, you're buying a system. Uh, that's typically what you do as a franchisee. You're buying a proven system that has been tried and true somewhere else, and that's what you're investing in. Um, with with Famous Soulery, um, they were, had just started franchising. They really didn't have their systems in place. They had four successful operations that were being independently managed, um, and so they really didn't have a system. So, in my process of becoming a franchisee, was very different than a lot of other franchise models. Um, because there really was, there was a menu in place and there were recipes in place, but from a business perspective, you know, the, the scouting of a location, the full build out of the, of the restaurant, you know, all of the construction, um, all the little pieces that go into that were really actually a, a part of what I had to do on my own, um, which was interesting because most franchises you buy, you know, you buy into McDonald's franchise a Dunkin' Donuts franchise. Everything's laid out for you. You effectively are an operator of what their creation and design is. Um, in this particular franchise model, it wasn't that way. It was it was 100% uh, me figuring those things out. They had colors um, that I had to use, you know, and obviously small wares that I had to use. But other than that, everything else was kind of creation of my own. So, that was interesting as well, because because I was expecting more assistance with that that I didn't get, but it actually ended up working out well because now my store looks like my store. It's got my personality. It has my character. If you go to another famous location, you're not going to feel the same as you're going to feel when you're in one of my locations. Um, so that was beautiful too.
0: Well, and I like that. I think that there's it's like CrossFit in a lot of ways. Like you have CrossFit, there's the 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 set functionality of it, but every CrossFit gym is able to have its own entrepreneurial spirit. It's able to have its own uh, uniqueness. The coaches, the environment, the way they compete are different. So I think it's kind of the same as that. Would in in a way, would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The same.
0: And so, like, this is the tipping point. Like, this is your your you're using this opportunity to start really becoming an entrepreneur even though the model and eventually get out on your own in some ways also so how are you going about this like what how are you dealing with the employees let's start with 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 that because I think that's a common question I get all the time on the podcast and I don't really answer it Um, is how when you were starting your business what was your mindset in hiring employees I like this question because I think Arate we look at it a little differently
1: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. So in the beginning, like I said earlier, the first two years, I wanted to know the business inside and out. So I functioned as the GM of the restaurant. I wanted to learn everything I needed to learn. I wanted to have uh, to pick the people to come to work for me that I wanted to have. And what I quickly learned was what I was talented at in my prior life was developing people, human beings. Um, And so I was finally able to identify someone that I felt would make a good manager uh, that I could pull, that I could train, that I could invest into. And I think in the restaurant business, most independent restaurant owners or even franchisees of smaller brands, you tend to end up in your restaurant 100% of the time. And I never wanted to do that. It wasn't about creating a job for myself. It was about creating a job for 30 other people and give them a stable work environment and a stable paycheck in the restaurant industry and provide a working environment free of drama. Um, And so as I continued to learn the business, understand the business, and then identify the talent that I had on the team, I started to invest in them. I hired a management coach for them. I coached them myself. Um, My plan was always kind of to work my way out of being in the business full time so that I could go help other food entrepreneurs to realize their dreams and to make their business better and to understand how to scale and grow a small food business. Um, So when you talk about what my goals were in hiring employees, it wasn't hiring an employee. My goal was to find people who wanted to work in partnership with me and then to invest in those people to help them build their own lives. You know, I, when COVID hit, one of the things that was heavy on my shoulders was I had a team of, you know, 13 full-time employees whose families literally relied on me to put food on their table so that they had to a check. And if I looked at it from an employee-employer relationship, That's a very different feel than knowing that I had to worry about food being on the table for those 13 families. Um, And I think that's probably one of the biggest differences. You mentioned Arate, right? I think that's one of the biggest differences between the entrepreneurs in that group and uh, business owners um, that don't understand that connection of investing in other human beings and helping them to achieve the dreams they want to achieve. and so that that's my approach
0: when when I hire anyone on the team. Well, and I think that's a big part of it, right? Like in Eritay, we don't look at it as the, um, we look at the long-term value um, one, but we also look at the legacy that we're instilling in the individuals that work for us. So what does their family have? What are the values we're giving them? What is the future of their family look like? And I think, most people can't get over how much money they make or that an employee is expendable, I guess would be the term that most people would use, and uh, humans. And so one of the things that I like about this conversation is the holistic attitude about it. And and it's interesting because we want to be treated as whole humans and individually, and we, we are on this massive thing as humanity, but yet we don't treat other people that way and then we're like well why don't we get treated this way? Well you don't treat your employees that way. You don't treat the people that work with you that way. You don't treat your family that way. So like this is one of the things that I that I find very interesting is that often businesses that are doing very well financially 5 7 10 20 years down the road don't end up going under because of financial problems. They end up going under because of they make very poor decisions around issues like this like employee issues or or whatever and it starts rotting away at the core of their company and in my experience like when that starts it's very hard to reverse it okay in any company especially in companies that are close knit and have a good foundation and have good loyalty if you're not constantly fulfilling the dreams and and concentrating on the employees or the team members as we call them um, they don't they get entitled sometimes. That's what I mean um, when I say like we've you've got to get them to grow um, and hopefully they want to grow. And I guess you can't get someone to grow, but you want them to grow. You want to put them in an environment where they can grow, I guess would be the right way to put it. Yep. And so this is all part of it. And in the world that we're living in today, there's so much employment problems, particularly in food, like everyone left to go DoorDash or, do whatever gig or whatever so there's not a lot of people left in the food business and it's always amazing to me because this would be the opportunity for someone who actually had work ethic and everything else to really step up or anyone in, outs- in an outside industry that wants to come into food now's the time to do it because you can get leaps and bounds in terms of pay and getting promoted to a supervisor and promoted to a, a manager why lack of competition okay it's like being going to war and your sergeant gets killed and all of a sudden you've been promoted to sergeant. It's just the opportunity that's there. It's not great and it's not great that it's happening in the world, but it is where the opportunity is. And so yeah. it's just, you know, and we don't look at that enough. If anyone wants to make money and really wants to do well in the world, like five, 10 years from now, you should go into food. Like I don't know how to tell everyone that cause there's no one else here. There's going to be no experts in 10 years, at least yeah. in the United States. And so, Angela, let's talk about um, how do you build a business where, like, it's different because I feel that as an entrepreneur, I um, I don't have the, I have restrictions and contracts and stuff like that with hospitals, I guess, so it's like that, but I don't necessarily had the restrictions of a franchisee or whatever, even though you have independence, so Talk to me what that's like. How do you navigate being an entrepreneur, but also making sure you stay within those boundaries?
1: You know, I think that's one of the things that, for a lot of people who go into franchising, is an issue. Um, you know, I chose to do the contract with Famous History because I knew I would still have some entrepreneurial leeway. Um, I would never have done a franchise with a very cookie cutter franchise program that I had to fall within every single line because I am a person who consistently looks at things and wants to make them better. Um, I am constantly challenging myself, challenging my team, challenging people around me to to make every day 1% better than the day before. Um, Which means that there's room for growth in the business and in the franchise and in all of those things. So I'm not good at being confined uh, whatsoever, which is, like I said, a lot of the reason why I picked Famous Faces because I knew I wouldn't have the confines of a traditional franchise that had been in place for a long time. Um, It can be tough. You know, I I have friends that are in the franchise space, that are franchises, that are You know, they deal with cease and desist letters from their franchisor because they're not doing everything exactly to the level of the law, you know, or they're in a situation where their franchisor won't allow them to market themselves. And all that's created is the actual national scale marketing and not their local marketing in their local place. And so that sometimes can be damaging to you from a local perspective if you don't have the ability to get out and really get engaged and involved on a a local marketing level. Um, so that can be a challenge so if if there are people who are listening to the call that are thinking about getting into the franchise space especially in food, you need to really kind of understand what type of investor you are are you an investor who wants to have that creative piece who wants to make additions or changes or show some level of creativity or are you an investor who wants to have an exact plan laid out for you that you follow and the business handles for you, your marketing and your, you know, and your larger scale items. Um, definitely a great question, Dustin, because it is a very different experience and you have to understand who you are as a potential franchisee and what best suits you when you're out looking for places to invest.
0: And I agree with that. I mean, the franchise model, you you really have to, if you're going to go into it, like, I'll give you an example. If you're going to go to Chick-fil-A and try to be a franchisee, I think you have to work there for like two years or something. But I don't know exactly how it all works. Or it's either that or capital or something. I don't know. But once you're a Chick-fil-A franchise, you cannot franchise any other franchise. Like, Mm -hmm. you're stuck. Like your Chick Fil A all the way. Although I do know that they're creating a burger concept, and I do know that they're creating a wing concept, so they're going to diversify their offering, so their franchisees can probably have more than one concept. And um, but the thing is that is that it's if that's if you want someone, you know, if it's a McDonald's franchise, for example, it's cookie cutter, and you go in and out, and as long as you have good employees and they're there all the time, your business will run well. And you could probably have multiple ones on them. The problem is, is what I'm seeing is some of them are so cookie cutter that they don't know how to deal with what's going on in the world right now, or the employees who all of a sudden four call out out of your eight, like, you know, how do you deal with that? So those are some of the things just to be aware of, like how, what's hiring look like? How do they pay? Like a lot of people pay like on the same day now, which is just crazy to me. Like you make your money the same day. So... I mean, people can come and go as they they please. That's a little bit um, what's happening, even more so than it did before.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, in the food business especially, the culture of the business is the most important piece. You are so limited on the amount of margin that you can make in the food industry that you really have to build a solid, solid culture foundation within your employee, employee base Uh, Because it can cost you a lot of money. You know, if you're continually retraining, if you're continually uh, having turnover, if you are in a place where your culture is not one that welcomes new ideas from employees on how to deal with waste or how best to inventory or how best to handle customer service issues, if you have a culture that doesn't allow to breathe with that and you don't have employees that are... Engaged to be able to handle and problem solve, chances are you're probably not making any margin. Um, you're probably having a lot of food waste. You probably have customer loss and discounting and things along those lines. So, even in the restaurant business, which is a much more transient industry than most careers, you have to be focused on what the culture of your business is in order to be successful.
0: Yeah, and I want I really agree with this like in leaps and bounds because um it's just crazy to me that we build businesses but we don't focus on the culture or the spirit and when we don't let's just by default it is a reflection of the leader and if the leader's not conscious of this reflection it's usually a bad reflection that comes out eventually and it's unfortunate but when we're not conscious and we don't live with character and we don't consciously look at our actions and how they might affect the people around us. Like I love this because in extreme ownership, the book it's like um, at least I think it's the first book that um, they did. But the, the thing about it is it's like to pause and pick your head up and look around in the middle of a crisis before you actually take action. Is Mm -hmm. the plan still good? Am, am I going to risk the lives of everyone? Am I going to risk the lives of my business? And so how do we do that? And how do we, as entrepreneurs and as food entrepreneurs, we have a lot more to navigate. And like, I, I emphasize this because we have so much more to navigate. It means we got to spend less time in our businesses. And it really means that we have to, and it seems like, oh, we have worry about, chicken and chicken not cross contaminating with beef and beef not cross contaminating with pork and you know thaw levels and shelves and ordering food and we have a lot of different skews that come together in a lot of different recipes so there's a lot more that goes on in food than any other business that I know of in that way like how many ingredients come together and how many products you produce and how hard it is to track all those ingredients and you need to know where they come from and they, do they have the pro- proper certification so on and so forth. And so it's important that you pick your head up, you know, as entrepreneurs, as Angela was mentioning, and and really look at how your actions are affecting the culture of your business or the spirit of the team members. Because yeah. I myself have gone into ruts and where I can tell that like when an employee does something. And I want, like, all of a sudden, and I say employee in this case, but team member does something, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, at first, I'm like, oh, but it's a reflection of where I am right now. And Mm -hmm. if you really pay attention, it always is. And it's something's going on with you, and your your team follows you if you're a good leader. And whatever ups and downs that are going on, it's reflecting back onto them. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time before I realized how truly impactful that can be. And it's actually hugely impactful, the smaller the business because the owner has that much more influence over everyone and impact um, and works with them. So it's just a carrot or whatever it would be called an Easter egg. I don't know what the kids call it today. You guys a hack, but the hack is really, if you want to hack, it's that, you have to actually think about that person as if they were you. If it yep. were you, what would you want for your family? What would you want your boss to give you? What would you want your opportunity? I mean, and I'm being honest about this. I'm not talking about I would want something for free. I want, I'm not talking that I want to be a freeloader. That's not what I'm saying in this scenario. What I'm talking about is that I want to work hard, that I want to gain something out of my job, not just money. I want to be paid well. I want to. I want to grow, and maybe I don't want to grow to be a supervisor, you know. And I have to think about what that human wants. But what is it that they want? Because if they don't grow, they're not. They're not going to be happy, and no matter if they stay in that position or not. That's why training. That's why constantly um, making things harder or making things a little bit uncomfortable in your office is important because the employees, um, team members, however you want to look at them, like. They need a little excitement They need challenge um, Angela sorry I'm going to go on one more thing And reemphasize something And I just I want to say this for the audience And this is my perspective obviously But I heard this the other day And this is a good time for this conversation Which is and I'm going to repeat it And I have on other podcasts episodes But it was something I heard That I just feel is so true Like like if you God and the devil work in the same But opposite ways Okay, And it's so true like what that de- what what the devil is trying to do is lead you to death and by leading you to death the, actually the way to do it is by giving you a little little bunch of pleasures or as we would say dopamine hits like it's a lot of little pleasures here a lot of little instant gratification so we don't try to achieve excellence where god works is he's putting a lot of uncomfortable situations in us like i would say like it almost feels like death by a million cuts but actually, those, the feeling of those little death moments are actually the things that bring us to greatness. So what God does, he, he brings these little moments of death to us or, or down so we can have greatness where the devil brings us these moments of dopamine and these moments of satisfaction so we become less and less hardworking and we get more and more stuck into our couch behind Netflix. And I just thought it was an interesting perspective because... Like, I get it, especially in futures, you work 10, 12 hours, days, the last thing you want to do is go home and be active. And and you want to sit on your couch and do TV. I get all of it. And And it's taken me a long time also to learn that it's actually your body will adjust. If you push it just a little bit, okay, I came home and I walk 10 minutes. I walk 20 minutes. Then I walk 30 minutes the third week, you know, every day. And by, you know, weirdly, by like a few months in, like... I'm not only walking, I'm running, I'm exercising, but I'm also not hurting after work or during work, which is the weirdest thing ever. And I just want to emphasize and anchor that point that weirdly staying more mobile even after work helps like loosen up the muscles that are being engaged at work. And so... 75 hard did this for me or live hard does it for me um because now it's live hard basically there is that's not just 75 days the last four years it's whole years of my life that have now four whole years of my life i've dedicated this program so i think that if we take that into our lives angela um that as entrepreneurs in the way we look at things or and and can still those values employees like make it fun like hey let's walk during lunch break let's and most people don't. I'm, not, I'm going to be honest with you. They don't do it. But um, I think when we do it, they get inspired to eventually start doing it themselves. And that I've seen. And, but it takes a long time. So I don't know exactly where we were going. But my point is more of this. Like our actions lead us to where we want to go. And I think that one of the issues that we're having as entrepreneurs when we get too caught up in our businesses is we start leading by the actions that are what we like we get frustrated we get upset we do whatever and then our employees act that way or our team members and it causes problems so that's me trying to take this conversation full loop and I re-emphasized a lot of things there but
1: yeah, I think the bottom line is, is that all of us as human beings, we, we, are, we are born, we live with the intent of, of learning in our lives, improving ourselves, uh, regardless of where we are in life, regardless of whether or not we're working an hourly job, whether or not we have a career path, whether or not we're in school or we're working on personal relationships. The, the, for the most part, human beings are uh, gratified by being able to see improvements in themselves. And so even if someone in the restaurant industry, you know, we have employees and, and team, team members who will come to us and they'll be getting ready to go to college and they'll be there for a year. I invest in those people just, just as much as I invest in the people who are there that are on my management team. Because if people feel intently satisfied in their own growth. They will do a better job every day. And I think that you know, to your to your point, right? We may not have everyone on our team who wants to do 75 hard or do the physical engagement, but that doesn't mean we should invest the less in those people. The, the goal is for all of us to be one percent better every day, and their one percent may not be on a physical basis, it may be it may be on a mental growth perspective. Um I've got employees who have been with me for six years since since we opened, they're not the same employees they were six years ago. They've made investments in themselves. They've made investments in our business. They've made investments in our customer base. And they have, you know, come to continue to grow. And as you're looking at the people who surround you in your life, whether they be uh, employees, if you're an entrepreneur or friends or mentors, everyone should be on the growth trajectory and it's each of our it's each of our responsibilities to make the oral growth. um So I like how you bring all of that full circle because it is about that. And it's about that when you when you own a business, part of part of being that leader is building back into the community. And that's how you build back in the community because if you share that same interest in the people who are with you walking alongside you working for you, guess what? They go home and they share that with their family. They feel that sense of community and growth at work. They go home they share that sense of community and growth with their own families. And then their families project that out to the people that they come in contact with. So it's about making everyone around you in your community better too. And it starts with that employee, employer relationship. a Yeah,
0: I agree. And I, and I think we, in actuality we probably spend more time with the people we work with than any other person including our spouses or significant others you know I've really been thinking about this a lot actually like how much time do I spend with the people I work with versus the people I care about and I care about both people so don't get me wrong but I mean on like a personal level versus on a a work level and so um, it's interesting because both I care about obviously some in one some in different ways, right? One, I feel responsibility for their family and making sure their dream comes true. Um, in my family, if I guess I feel that responsibility, like I want to invest in them, but I don't feel the necessary same thing to m- and make sure their dreams come true, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, but one of the commonalities there, I will tell you that I call it a visionary thread um, it's when I have something that's consistent in my life, no matter whether I'm playing a sport, whether I'm in Arite, whether I'm in business, whether I'm in my family, is that it's the building the relationship thing that you talked about, right? It's making that impact. And since I spend so much time, probably more time with with the humans I work with than actually the humans I am related to or care about on a personal level, it's interesting to me that that we don't look at the influence like on the work on the employees or on our team members more or our co-workers for anyone who's in a corporate environment and we we don't actually look at our, how much we are involved in our family anymore either and so um, my point being this I don't know why I separated the two because I care about both equally and I, I didn't mean it in that way but what I do mean is I care about them differently and Either way, the, the visionary thread is the same, which is interesting because I just really this just occurred to me is that I build the relationships the same. I, I ask the same questions. I feel the same about them. I actually love the coworkers as family, um, and I don't separate or discriminate either way. and And um, I have had family members in business, which is probably why I'm separating it right now, and I don't anymore. But to angela's point if we're investing in the um people around us and they are going and in, in investing in the people around them it has compounding in fe- uh, effect or compounding impact or influence even long after we're gone here possibly even influence into generations and legacies so i want to anchor that and not ever everyone anchored or me going in circles whether I care about coworkers or family members more, which I don't. I actually very equal. It's just interesting that I did that. I have to go back and look at that. But, Angela, what is it that you like the most about you know this growth in the in in the people around you and the humans you work with and your team members? Like how do you find it rewarding? I mean, how describe it? I guess describe it. I mean, you've been in this business for a while. Is there a certain team member that has grown a lot that you've just felt reward or or a trophy for lack of a better term?
1: You know, I take a lot of uh, pride in the fact that the majority of our team has been together for many years. So we have uh, servers who have been with us the, the six and a half years we've been open. I have uh, my manager that's in place now. She has been with us for five years. Her backup supervisory manager has been with us for two and a half years. Um, I don't have anyone that works in my kitchen that's been with us for under a year. What I really enjoy seeing what gives me a lot of pride is watching them help each other grow. So I make the investment and made the investment years ago in in these uh, people. And I help them grow and realize their own value. And then I watch them help each other grow and, and learn how to, you know, have dynamics in their own personal relationships that help them in their life. You know, I've had employees who have had You know, issues in their personal life, they'll come to me, they will talk with me about that, we will communicate about it, they will go back and address the issues they have, and then they come back to me and say, you know what, because I have become the person I am, and I'm working on my own growth, I was able to navigate these situations to make it better for myself, or to make it better for my family, or to make it better for the people around me. That's where I really feel a lot of pride Um, because it is, it's about, it's about not just having impact inside the four walls of my business, but it's about having impact out in the community. It's about having impact in other people's family life and helping other people to live their lives better and positive instead of getting caught up in any negative. Um, It's so easy to your point about, about Satan, it is so easy for all the things that get fed to us to address everything in such a negative light. That's the that's the easy way to look at it. Um, you know, from a from a godly perspective, you know, the goal is to take those learnings and to figure out what it is you're supposed to learn from them and turn them into something that creates positivity. Um, so many people though don't do that. So many people get caught up in something that happened, they feel to them, that that pulled them back or held them back or limited them in some way, and they allow that to define their lives. Um, and so what I really love to see in the, in the investments that I make in the people that work alongside me, what I really love to see in them is them bringing that positivity forward to other people in their lives and teaching other people how to do that.
0: And I think that, uh, well, one, to have that in your business is huge, right? To have the individuals and the employees or team members, again, whatever term. I don't know why I keep saying employees. I usually say team members. I'm, I'm struggling today. The, but the thing is, is when they teach each other and they own it, thats they're taking ownership that they want the next generation because I'm going to say this, for 10,000 years of human existence or, and beyond... The like we learn from each other through storytelling and we mm-hmm. learn through each other through what would be called today as tribal knowledge because it's like the way things were done back in the day and how, why would we do it that way i get it you need standard operating procedures you need things captured the business needs to run and you need usda but within what angela's talking about is culture and within that culture is the ability to teach that culture to next generations along with the skills that go along to make that culture exist, okay? And if a culture or spirit of a business is successful, that's when the money comes. Like, you could be profitable today. That doesn't mean you have spirit of a business. It just means that you're doing well. You've got the other parts of the puzzle, great, but the spirituality still needs to be worked on or whatever the culture. I call it spirituality because at some point, like, I felt culture was too easily a word that people felt they could influence too easily. Uh, as I, as we, as we, um, as we preserve a company, um, you want to preserve the culture, and so I, I use the word spirit. Like I've started using that word just because it means so much more. And so I think yeah. that if we focus on the spirit, what makes it run, the culture is something that just happens. I think that we've we've said that business schools have made it that way so I'm not saying it's wrong or anyone's using wrong I just think as entrepreneurs or anyone listening this podcast like although our words are our rudders in our businesses and our lives and if we make sure we use those rudders with intent and our words with intent um, that doesn't mean I don't cuss every once in a while or whatever that's not what I'm talking about although I kind of do that with intent also um, to emphasize things sometimes but it's it's that like, okay, intentionally, we're going to build the spirit of our business, the culture of the business is what happens when we build spirit. Okay. And then, you know, I've always found that if I use the word culture too much, people think they can influence it too easily. And while you want your employees to influence, you want your employees to influence the spirit and positivity of your business, not necessarily a culture of a business because culture can also mean, and I've seen this in my case, particularly in Georgia, is that if the employees are uh, um, enabled to create too much culture, they can create a negative culture or subculture within your culture. And so you just have to be aware as an entrepreneur, like you're leading, you're having to also check the culture and the bigger your company gets, the harder it is to maintain. And if you don't do what Angela is doing, which is actually getting individuals who own the business also, even though they're not owners and they're, teaching the other individuals and they're creating that spirit in the business because the spirit is created by passing down knowledge i just don't know how else to say it like culture is like i could create any culture oh we're a health food company and let's create health food culture i'll put in a bunch of health food vending machines and signage everywhere and we got healthy culture that's not exactly true like it takes a lot it would be like getting all the employees together or team members and you know we bike to work once a week or you know, you're starting to encapsulate a spirit, not just create a culture for the sense of it. And I've seen people do it. Like, you know, Kaiser yeah. Permanente is one. Like, they have this thrive word they use. But the thrive word is their culture, but they redefine their culture all the time using that word. So what is it really their culture? Are they for the farmers? Are they for the locals? But yet they use Sodexo for all their food, who's a French company. Like, so... Like those are the type of things I'm talking about. Like what is it that we're really building as entrepreneurs and we should be aware. And anyone who's listening to this podcast, you should be aware of the food companies you're buying from. That's the other thing. Look at the entrepreneurs. Like I would much rather buy from Angela than buy from someone who treats their employees like garbage or they're because at that point they are employees to that person. They're not team members. And I think that's why I'm using the word because like in my head today is a lot of this, like I witnessed something two days ago where just this, I went into a restaurant and I got food to go and um, here in Nashville and the 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 owner of the business was just treating the employees so bad because they had so many orders coming in. And one of the things he was doing is he had like 15 different like displays up to try to handle all the orders uh, coming in for delivery, which you just can get one service like a flyby or something or whatever it is and it can consolidate or you have toast not to be confused with the toast we're talking about but there's programs that consolidate it square maybe you have to rewrite your menu but it's worth consolidating but it's things like that you do like you're making the error dude and why are you getting mad at the employees you could fix this problem by just working on your business but instead you're creating bad culture and bad Mm -hmm. spirit and instead of fixing an easy solution, and and what he kept saying was, you just have to deal with it. And he's right in a way, but he's not right in a way. Because the problem is he's probably been saying this for weeks on end, and the employees are like, yeah, you're not fixing it. Like, you keep telling us this, but you're not fixing it. And you even hear one of the employees, like, even five guys has fixed this problem when I used to work there by getting one screen. And so they're trying to help him. And every time they give him a suggestion, he just gets embarrassed and his ego gets in the way and then he gets more frustrated. And so I think that as entrepreneurs, particularly in food, particularly during stressful situations, that's when the spirit is built. When we're in the battle, when things are tough, and right now he's he can't fix the screens right then, I agree. He's let another day go by or whatever's going on, but his attitude and how he handles it means everything at this point. And It was just like such a display for me. I mean, I don't even know. I bet you employees walk out on him all the time. I'm just saying it's pretty easy to get a job in food right now. If you don't treat your employees well, they will leave. And when you do that, you're hurting all of us in the food business. And that's what I actually told him at the end of the night. Like I just was like I'd waited a long time for my food. And I'm like, dude, I know you're struggling. I know you're a young dude and this is a new business for you. But, like, you display, like, all the customers saw you act that way. You can fix your iPad system, you know, all consolidated under one software. You don't need, like, 15 different iPads everywhere. And you don't – If the minute you put down your employees in front of someone or as a group, like, you've lost them. You've lost all of them in your culture. And, like, you're behind because your employees don't want to work. And one thing, see – said to me, at first, he was standoffish, like I was hurting him. But people can very quickly tell that I'm not here to harm them, that I'm actually here to help you. And I care about you. And I want to help him. I'm like, dude, I want to help you. But you can't, you just can't create that culture in your business. Like that's step one. And so I think one of the things that Angela has done with intent, and what I'm when I'm now talking to this individual in this business with is, you, he's the nicest guy in the world. He likes his family. He takes care of his family, but when he gets stressed out at work, he's not, he, he's not mean, but he just doesn't come off as likable. Uh, and, um, that's a big deal, you know? So how do you do that as an entrepreneur? How do you not get stressed out? How do you not worry about lack of employees? How do you not take it out on the customers or unintentionally on the people that work with you. you know Those are all questions that we have to deal with as food entrepreneurs right now because we are short staff, we're short food. Our menus are changing all the time. We're having less and less access to diversity of food. So the thing that we do have is when we get employees, it's important for us to invest in them and it's important for us to keep them and hey man, like I told him, like you're not doing me any favors. The reason I'm talking to you is actually also selfishly. And that's the truth. The truth is, I also talked to him selfishly because I don't want to see the food industry go down the tubes by because the way one person acts, a food entrepreneur, it's a reflection of all of us. Like we are all trying to build an industry here. We're all trying to get employees. We're all trying to actually build a foundation of good food service workers and humans that we can all rely on and that can be moved from business to business and have a diversity of skills. We don't want them to just stay in our business. Always. We want them to go get other skills and have a diversity of skills and then come back to us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to think about that and, and letting someone go and not being upset that they leave is okay. Cause if we treat them right, they'll go get skills and come back. And mm-hmm. so I just, I'm sorry to go on a, a commentary there, but I just cannot emphasize enough that you're not damaging only your business or yourself. And you think in the short run you're helping it by treating people or rushing things along or, or demanding, you know, that people get the job done or forcing them or whatever way that you're doing it. But the reality is, is you're hurting all of us. And I, go ahead. Some, Angela. Of
1: the, some of the owners in the in the industry. Don't understand that the most important part of building that spirit in a business is consistency. You have to do it day in and day out. You have to not have reactionary moments in the highly stressful times. Uh, um, You know, we're a brunch-based business. We serve 800 people on a Sunday. Uh, We turn the restaurant six to seven times. That's highly fast-paced. Holy crap.
0: That is fast
1: very stressful environment on a Sunday. We do that every Sunday. Saturdays are a little bit better than that. We usually be 6.50. So we might turn between five and six times on the Saturday. The problem with businesses like that, that are successful, it sounds like your uh, restaurant that you were in the other evening as big food or it wouldn't be that busy. um, You cannot react in that manner on a consistent basis. You have to be the leader, realize that your team is overwhelmed, realize that they are living in a high level of stress, realize that at the end of the day, you're all on the same goal, that no one came to work today to say, hey, I wanna do a bad job and make people wait longer for their food. So as an owner, building that spirit in the business is about doing it day in and day out. Whether you are there, whether you are not there, whether you are experiencing a highly stressful situation from food supply shortages to issues with your technology to having uh, your employee base call out, you have to deal with everything in a very non-emotional way. You have to have processes and procedures and rules that you stick to whether you prefer an employee over one or not. Uh, One of the things that I've had people say to me over time is, "I I don't understand how you have so little turnover. And I said, it's very easy. I have consistent expectations and those expectations are in place every day they're not easy to live up to. There are some people who come to work for us that don't last very long because our expectations are high. Uh, However, the employees that we have that are high achievers, those employees are happy to be there because we expect the same from every employee. And if we don't get it from everyone, then the people who aren't performing aren't there very long. Um, So it is about maintaining your business. And this goes for any industry. It's about maintaining your business at that level of expectation and holding people accountable to achieve that or being quick to let them go. Because what will happen is if you don't do that, you will build a spirit where people don't believe that you are after that high quality. And if they stop believing that you're after it, they will start performing at less of a level. So it's about being consistent. It's about doing it day in and day out. It's about saying, okay, we have a certain rule in place. And if you don't follow that rule, here are the consequences. And whether I like you or not, whether you've been there for four years, five years, six years or not, I have to hold you accountable to the same consequences that I give to everyone else. And when you are consistent in management that way, and you take the emotion out of it, and the rules are the rules, everyone operates that way, that is massively impactful to the students of the business.
0: And I agree with you 100%. And here's the interesting thing to me, um, honestly, is that for tens of thousands of years, likability was our, our basis on our ability to contribute to the group, not only physically, but mentally. Like, I'm not, we all have different skills, and we all contribute in different ways, and we all have different superpowers that we can engage. But when we go into the workforce or we go into the world or we're entrepreneurs in the world and we don't realize that this is true, like that we need community, that everyone has to serve a purpose, that um, and we're also employees or coworkers or parents or whatever, that our influence is exactly what you said. It's there's it's just so much bigger and and and. And protecting that spirit and that culture is so important that when employees or a new coworker or team member comes in and they don't, they're hurting the spirit, it's very important that you, you either you address it and you eliminate it as fast as possible because that can really rot your spirit. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I think more importantly is the influence that we have, like and one of the things that I've realized in just this conversation in my own mindset is I treat everyone the same. I am like, and one of the things that happens to me, it's twofold. One is on one side I get, well, gosh, like like I'm your girlfriend or whatever has happened to me in the past. Why am I getting treated different than the other? Why am I not treated better? I'm like, well, everyone gets treated the same. That doesn't mean I don't address individual needs or individual issues. It just means... That as a whole, what I care about goes back to our instinct, which goes back to our 10,000 years, which is, are you benefiting the group? Okay, and if you're not benefiting the group and you're not raising up the group because we need to raise the water so all ships raise with it, which is all of us are ships and we all work together to raise the water then you're not growing this community, you're not growing this business, and you're not growing the individuals around you that are in this business or your family or your community or we could go on a million years. So this is the thing. If you don't do it in your home, you don't do it in your work, you don't do it in your business, you just don't do it. It's like this: the saying, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not investing and growing and being nice, it's... it's you're you're not contributing on the other hand sometimes i'm so consistent to what angela's saying and i am always that person that people get the wrong impression you know that they're like oh you know you know like i don't want a relationship i'm like i'm just being friendly like in the world that we live in after the massive covid that if someone's too friendly there's an expectation that they want something from you i'm blown away by this like okay people are just being friendly and they're not trying to get anything from you. They're not trying to do anything. They're not trying to take advantage of you. They're not trying to expose your victimality, whatever that word would be. And your victimization, like it's just one of those things where we're all here to prosper. And if we all try to grow each other, knowing that as a group, it's important for our future long after we're gone, because it's like our impact is so small. Um, as it is, even with trying, that to not have any impact at all or have a negative impact seems crazy to me, but people don't seem to think that way. So to Angela's point, I think what I'm going to anchor for everyone is we can only, especially as entrepreneurs and even in our communities, and when you have family members, it's a little harder, but you want to make sure your surroundings, your business, your team members are all in that positive energy space, okay? That doesn't mean we don't have good days and bad days. That just means that the way we handle things or the the individuals in your business handle things is with a positive outcome. Like, okay, this happened for us. What can we learn from this? How can I teach it to the individuals in my business so they can not make the same mistake or if they run into the same mistake, they already know how to solve it potentially or a similar mistake. And it's that. Like, That's how businesses run. That's how they stay around for 25 years is that Mm -hmm. ability to pass down that knowledge. Um, And in my own experience, the only way that businesses really successful businesses go under is when they don't listen to the employees. They don't invest in the team members anymore. It becomes very about the managers or the entitlement of the business or the entitlement of the employees. Um, versus everyone being team members and that in that case i will use a different term because if you treat them like employees they will always be employees Mm -hmm. and if you treat them like team members and and partners they will always be team members and partners and for me it's just been easier because even though i'm the leader I see that I play soccer. I'm not. I don't. I'm not the coach of the team. I'm the captain of the team, and I'm on the field with the team, and they cover for me. And sometimes I need to take off my captain's band, and sit on the bench and give it to someone else to lead every once in a while because every once in a while, like I have to check out. I I have too much going on, but I've built a team that can carry the load, right? It's just being human. Like every once in a while, there's a family emergency and a funeral. Well, if I can't leave my business and the business falls apart and I'm not there, then it's not a business. It's just in show. So all of that means investing in team members um, is my point. Like you want to be able to have flexibility. You want to be able to have freedom. You want to be able to have the entrepreneurial life. It doesn't mean it's the easy road. It just means you have to grow the humans around you.
1: Yep, yeah, that's hundred percent right. You have to, you have to, as you elevate yourself, it is your responsibility to elevate the people around you, period. No matter what part of your life, whether it's your children, whether it's your uh direct family members, whether it's your friends, whether it's your co-workers, whether or not it's uh team members, employees, whether or not it's other Peers or colleagues. It is your responsibility as you continue to elevate yourself and learn and grow from life that you help
0: others do the same. And, and this is a great transition um, conversation as we start to uh, close this up, which is one of the reasons I like Eritre or I like high functioning entrepreneur groups or any industry group for that matter when they're actually run really well, which Eritre is, is you're able to extract out information quickly that applies and you're able to use it to grow your team members. Um, I would say that there's more of that there than anything else. The other thing I will say is something I've learned is like I've been in AirTay for four almost five years and it wasn't until I started working it that it worked for me. Like I, I listened to the shows and I did the things and I implemented into my business. But when I actually started also living by it, um, more so, like, I'm already a high-functioning individual. I've already done a lot of the stuff in Arite. But to be around a group of people that's also doing it, that shares the same energy, and then to network with them like you and I are doing right now, I think is hugely important in, like... I'm a firm believer in Arite. Anyone who probably listens to the podcast sees it. Anyone knows I probably do live hard or 75 hard. Like I live that lifestyle. So it's not new to someone that I bought into this. And it seems like it's all Arite or it's all 75. The reality is, is I've been doing most of these things like since I can remember, like I've had discipline, consistency and whatever, and I've had bad things or distractions happen. But what Arite did to me, what did for me is it took all the things that I knew and one, it validated them. Okay. And it also took some of the things that I wasn't sure of and put them in check, whether I needed to get rid of them or I needed to fix them. But I had a group of peers now that actually keep me in check from a business and personal way, which is weird. And it's particularly now in Nashville since I have a lot of Eritrea here. But we've talked about it a little bit, Angela, is like the networking. And you're newer to Eritrea. And, and, and I want to know what that's like for you. And I because I want to expose Arte on the podcast, I feel that I should give back because they've done so much for me. And, and even though I give to them and get back from what I receive, I, it's nothing compared to what I give. And honestly, um, and for what I get back once I started working it. So, how's that been for you? Like, what's your Arte experience, I guess, would be a start?
1: So, I, I've been in Arte almost two years. I of here <laughs> in a month or two, and um, since joining, I, my life has pretty much changed. I mean, I in the first six months, I listened to the calls that were there. I didn't really connect with a whole lot of other members, uh, and then I started making more of an effort in connecting with other people and just finding out their stories and what were their businesses and what were they doing, and what I found was, to your point, we found a lot of similarly-minded people. Who were building businesses, understanding that, understanding that they were building lives. They weren't just building businesses. They were building lives of the people who worked uh, alongside them before them in their businesses. And that network as a whole has opened my eyes to the fact that there are more people with similar philosophies that I have. um, And that there are also people who just genuinely want to help other people grow and develop themselves. Um, so the group itself has a lot of different variety as far as people are along within business, how large or how small their businesses are, um, and how they and how they choose to function uh, within their businesses. But what is a very common thread that has helped me is we all want to give each other knowledge. So before I joined Arte, I didn't know anything about multifamily investing. I didn't know anything about um, syndicates. I didn't. There are a lot of things I didn't know about that some of the other people in the network were doing. That that now I'm also doing, and it's gonna. It helps me grow. It helps me learn. I can teach other people. I can provide. I can provide those resources to them. Um, I've also gained a lot of friendships out of Arte. I have. Uh, you know, a small a small coaching and consulting business that helps people with cash flow management. So I've I've pulled uh, you know relationships from there, both mentorship opportunities and clients um, from Arte. So similar to you, I have gotten so much from being a part of the group that I I continually give back. Uh, to the group as a whole in whatever way i can whether or not it's someone posts a question you know i'm there to answer it whether or not i'm helping to put some type of event together that i know people are going to benefit from um i try to give back as much as i can because literally just like you it's it's totally changed my life
0: yeah and it's realigned a lot of things like there's a lot of things i'm learning but there's a lot of things that i already knew it just restructured them in a way and it also the greatest thing that i found is like Again, food entrepreneurs, there's more of us than anywhere else in the world. If we voted as a party, we could pretty much run the world, just so anyone's aware. If we wanted to make real change in the world, we could literally vote as one party, as food entrepreneurs, and make huge change. But just saying. Um, the um, But it aligned things for me in a different perspective, and it put them in a much better order. One of the reasons was is because I was able to get so much insight from entrepreneurs that weren't in the food industry. I'm I'm talking restaurants, I'm talking construction, I'm talking food service equipment, I'm talking food as a whole, the whole business, it's very small yet there's a lot of us in it. I don't know how to describe it, but and the way of thinking in food and food entrepreneurs, particularly because most entrepreneurs in food have to work so much in their business, it's a very small mindset. Very small. And Franchising is usually done by corporate people that want to make money, not actually entrepreneurs who are trying to build a legacy. I mean, I just want to say that an investor comes in, an equity partner comes in, and then it's leverage, leverage, leverage. Let's grow this thing so we can get our money out, so we can get our return on investment. Okay, so what I've learned is, and and been able to practice a lot, is that actually building the core values and being true to everyone actually generates way more money than chasing the money. Chasing mm-hmm. the money is great, but when you have downtimes, people will chase the same, will chase bad money just like they chase good money. So just be aware of that. I've learned that from the group. One of the things that, as that came into perspective someone said, Watch in your business, when you're making money, the money chasers chase it when it's good. And when things are going bad, the money chasers chase it even though it's bad because they still just want the money. And it was mm-hmm. true. It's been true for me ever since. And when someone put that in perspective, It changes the way you look at it. also made me realize that in my business, as we're talking about culture and spirit and human core values, when you're a successful business and you're starting to make tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, you start attracting the people that care about the money more Mm -hmm. than they care about the spirit. And that was part of it as well for me is that as I got into it, there were a lot of entrepreneurs that had been down this road or built successful business and had better coaches and better mentors as they were doing it because they were outside of food and weirdly in food there's so many us in food we can literally go down the street and get advice so we don't tend to go to the the cream of the crop and food to go get advice we don't even know what that is like i don't even know what it is i think about this all day who is the cream of the crop of the food business like who's the person that's like an andy frisella and nutrition or Um, The guy who runs BPN, you know, there's two individuals that are running very strong personal brands and performance companies based on health. We don't have that individual in food that I know of, that's running businesses, that's out there leading, that's on a global scale trying to save the world and the environment and all that. I just don't see it. And so... Because there's so many of us. I think it's one of those things It's like, oh, there's 10 people here. There's a fire over there. Someone will probably call the fire department. But no one does because everyone thinks everyone else is. I think it's like that with food entrepreneurs and leadership in food. Oh, it's someone else's problem. i got to worry about my business. There's enough of us here. They'll go fight for the community. And I've learned in Erte that no matter how many of you there are, It's about what you can do and your influence and the impact that you can have on your community and your employees, not just whether or not there's a lot of people with you. And I've always had the mindset of being an individual, but Erte really tweaked in this thing in food, like we have no leaders right now. We have no one that's truly sticking up for the right thing or on a global scale, what is the balance should we have in food that actually protects the food entrepreneurs on a micro scale? You know, so like Arte taught me to be able to also like very quickly do what I just did, which is take the telescope out to like the worldview and then get it down to what I need to do as an individual or consult with individuals on their tests. Like everyone's always like, what do I do, Justin? What am I going to do? I'm like, well. You see what's going on with reels. People are doing shock value, but shock value also means doing things the right way. So that means changing your food. Like how are you going to function in the world today where it's easy to become an entrepreneur? Social media is at your fingertips. Real estate's booming, so you can pretty much find anywhere to put your business. You can buy a food truck pretty cheap. So your competition ability to get in the food game is not how good your food is anymore. That's just the entry ticket. That's like Willy Wonka's getting the chocolate factory. You still haven't won the chocolate factory. And so you just got the golden ticket or one of them. And... What Airtate did is it put all of it into perspective for me and it helped align a visionary thread, which is my whole purpose is the growth of humans and to positively pollinate the world. And like I said, the whole thing matters the employees, the money, the making sure there's profit, cash flow, growing the humans, all of it. But really, it aligns all around one thing. And like if I focus on that growth and the positive pollination, that's in Arite, That's part of all of our values. That I understand now. The more we grow in it, the longer I'm in it. That that is the biggest thing. And being around someone like Angelo who shares that actually compounds it in me. And um, it becomes you know an exponential compounding effect. I don't know how to describe it to you, but I'm like ten times the impact and influencer I was I am now than I was you know, four or five years ago, you know, yeah. because of just being around and being able to talk to people. So I'm talking a little long today and I'm not really getting my point across exactly how I want to, but here's what I'm saying. What groups would, if you're going to go out and join a group and you're an entrepreneur and you, you think you don't have time to do it and you don't have the money, you do. OK, you need to make the time and you need to make the money because I did the same thing. I'm like, am I really going to spend money and am I, am I really going to spend the time? And I've had points where I haven't had the time and I have to go back and catch up on lessons and episodes and notes and all that. But if you take the time, you build the relationships like I'm just getting to know Angelo. We with covid, we just did the first air group, which was uh, meetup, which again, which was here in Nashville, where we got to actually all meet each other again. Um, not just in our small groups. And that's the whole point, I think, is that you're not alone, Um, that there's like a thousand other of us that believe in positively pollinating the world and the growth of humans, which is why we're all entrepreneurs in the first place. So, Angela, I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me today. Um, I'm very passionate about how to build spirit within businesses and, and how to help other people grow and develop. Um, and so I just appreciate being able to be here and share my story.
0: Yeah, And I'd love to have you back on. And we went in circles just because you like, here's the thing about when I get around individuals in Eritrea there's so many like sparking moments. Like generally on the podcast, I have like three or four like anchoring spark moments where like I'm aha, but talking to you or when I have Mark Riggs on, or a high-functioning entrepreneur, sometimes it's like there's so many ideas and things that come out that it's so hard to ca- capture all of them, and that's what I would say about Arita. I go and like I hang out with, I've hung out with someone here twice named Steven, and like he's in film, and Angela actually connected us on Facebook through the group. And like I get around them, and I almost get exhausted after two hours because my mind is just we talk and like we're just so far beyond what normal people talk about. I don't even know how to describe it. Like the weather isn't even a factor to us. That's just part of life. If it's raining or pouring. Like the other day we were walking pouring rain to a hockey game and no one cared because we were actually so involved in like trying to figure out how to get his script you know, out there where he wants to be. And we're trying to solve each other's problems. So I think that's the other thing that you hit on Angela is that we actually care about each other and we actually want to grow each other and we give knowledge like away like none other. And instead of like trying to make money, like sell Angela, the mosquito net, like here's how I build the mosquito net, Angela, like you're never going to build the same spirit or business that I am, but I want you to succeed. Why? Because you have the entrepreneurial spirit and you believe in the growth of humans and you're a positive pollinator you yes. know so um i think that that's the biggest one also it's the relationship but it's the trust in that we all have the same vision and similar purposes to share that knowledge
1: yeah.
0: very cool um angela will you tell everyone where they can find you online or where they can reach out to you and um do you want to describe your um your the business you talked about a little bit as we get off and where people can find that with the cash flow consulting and and all that because I want to highlight that as well.
1: Yeah, I it's uh, it's Valkyrie Venture Group that you started that you started with the podcast today. Um, you can find me on Instagram at AndrewBinon underscore DVP. And you can find me on uh, Facebook at Famous Coastery Affburn. You can also find uh, Valkyrie Ventures Group on Facebook as well. Uh, And that business does specialize on um, small business coaching and consulting for cash flow management. So I have several restaurant and food vendor clients uh, because, as you know, it's part of the cash flow food business. Um, And so that's where you can find me.
0: Angela, thank you very much. I know we rescheduled a little bit and I had some hiccups getting on the call, um, getting us recorded. So I appreciate you a lot. And I'm actually looking forward to getting to know you more within the group and, um, anyone out there in the audience, thank you guys for listening in. I love all of you guys. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please share it. The entrepreneurs that come on here, they're, they're sharing their knowledge and they're, they're hoping to make impact, but you know, for every bit of knowledge i think you should pay forward so you should help share their knowledge and share their episodes and give them good feedback and comments and follow their pages as well because they're on here sharing very very valuable information that builds legacy so thank you everyone for listening in and we're out